0: Morning everyone. I am going to read from Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 7, if you want to find that. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea, and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named the apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Debedee, Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip. Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Isariot, who who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Bezabal, and by the prince of demons he cast out the demons. And he called them to him, and he said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. And no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods, unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, and the children of man, and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of eternal sin. For they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they said to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here, are my mo- here is my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother.
1: Morning, everyone. Good to see you. I'm glad to be back Uh, and looking forward to opening the word this morning and preaching. Um, Please join me as we pray. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and redeemer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just want to say a big thank you to everyone who's been supporting us through this uh, challenging but wonderful time um, with having the two little ones. It's been fantastic. Uh, praise God for the safe arrival of Little Heath. And um, we are very, very grateful and thankful to have um, your support. So thanks very much for your prayers your thoughts, the meals. That's been fantastic. I've been, I've, I've been eating more <laughs> since Heath's been born <laughs> than I was before, so that's great. <laughs> so thank you. Um, we might need to get a bigger pulpit at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe don't give me that much food. <laughs> well, uh, I've got an illustration to begin with, and, um, and it starts back in the 80s. I think this was the year living on a prayer was big. Uh, 1987, and so, in 1987, the National Football League in the U.S. was hit by a player's strike over a labor dispute. That's right, a labor dispute. <laughs> Riveting stuff, hey? <laughs> before, before, we, before you think to yourself, wow, Jared really has run out of illustrations. Chicago, bear with me. <laughs> I'm, 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 I've got two kids now, so the dad jokes are just going to keep coming. <laughs> A number of the regular footballers uh, who uh, refused to play in the NFL while they were trying to sort this labour dispute out. And so that meant four weeks of the competition were disrupted. The first week, the games were cancelled, but the following three weeks saw something interesting happen. A bunch of players who had previously been cut from the teams or who had played in rival leagues that had been shut down were called in by the big boys to play in the NFL. Not everyone who was uh, playing in the NFL, went on strike, however, meaning that some teams were hit harder than others. The Washington Redskins were one such team that were hit very hard. They had none of their regular players, while some other teams still had most of theirs. And in those three weeks, this misfit underdog Washington team went against the odds to beat the three opposition teams full of their regular players. And those three wins put Washington uh, in, in position to make the playoffs. And then that year, they went on to win the Super Bowl, which even if you don't know anything about uh, football, that's pretty big. <laughs> they show it on Channel 7, I think. <laughs> um, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty amazing story. They, they actually, I haven't seen this movie, but they went on to make a movie of this called The Replacements, uh, starring Keanu Reeves. And it's not hard to see why. I mean, he's a great actor. He's got great stage presence. No, no, no. I mean, it's not hard to see why they made a movie about an underdog story like this. And the regulars who, who, who didn't want to be in and so refused were replaced by others. The people that everyone would have expected to be on the inside, but who rejected their opportunity to be in found themselves on the outside. And those who no one would have expected to be in, not least themselves, found themselves on the inside. And today's passage in Mark 3 is similar to this. It's a little bit like this. It's similar because we see people everyone uh, would have thought be on the inside being replaced by those no one would have expected. And uh, it all hinges on their response to Jesus. We've got three points today. Our first two points follow the pattern of rejection and replacement. So the first one is the Jews and the 12. The second one is Jesus' family and Jesus' real family. And then point three, we'll look at how we can be in Jesus' family. So we begin with our first point that follows the pattern of rejection and replacement, the Jewish elite and the 12 apostles. One group rejects Jesus the king. And so justly, he will not have them in his kingdom. And graciously, he welcomes those we wouldn't expect into his kingdom. So firstly, we're going to see the rejection by the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Herodians. And this uh, we we see in, in, in severe ways here. Earlier on, the Jews of the day, the elite Jews, um, have been expressing increasing opposition to Jesus. If you think back to, I know it's been a bit of a break from Mark, but if you think back to chapter 2 um, and also the start of chapter 3, we've seen the Pharisees and the scribes come up against Jesus time and time again. And their opposition to him has been intensifying. It's been getting more fierce. Um, they've been accusing him of things. They've been trying to catch out him and his disciples continually. To so the uh, verse 6 of chapter 3 tells us, that they plotted to kill him. That's how severe their opposition has become. And the Jews were God's Old Testament people, and the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Herodians were the well-to-do types. They were highly regarded, and we would expect them to be in the in crowd. I mean, just think about it. Their Jewish pedigree was impeccable. Part of God's Old Testament people and part of the well-to-do group within God's Old Testament people. Surely, if anyone was going to be inside Jesus' kingdom, it would be these guys. But instead of responding positively to God's anointed King Jesus, they severely oppose him. As we've seen, they, they plot to kill him. They've had enough of Jesus, and the challenge that he poses to them and their way of life and so they plot to murder him. And do you see what Jesus does uh, from verse 7 and following? He continues with what he has been doing. Healing, casting out demons. Again, by the sea, Mark makes note of this; these details because they're significant. Jesus the king continues to give a foretaste of his coming kingdom. We see the rejection of Jesus by the religious elite, not only in their plans to murder him, but in the accusations they lay against him. The scribes accuse him of Satanism in verse 22. They claim that Jesus is doing the supernatural by evil power. What an outrageous claim to make. Notice they aren't questioning whether he's doing the supernatural. That's not up for grabs. It's, it's apparent to everyone that Jesus has been and is doing the miraculous. He's drawing crowds from all over the place. Remember in verses 7 to 8 of chapter 3, the crowds are coming from Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. I don't know exactly how far that is, but it's a trek. Like, it's, it's big. People are coming from all over the place to see Jesus. No doubt because they want to see the one who is bringing freedom from demonic oppression and healing to people with all kinds of diseases and sicknesses the evidence stands out that jesus is doing the miraculous the masses know that and literature from outside the time in the bible confirms it knowing they can't deny that they resort to accusing jesus of doing the supernatural by evil power. But their logic is is completely flawed. They're claiming that Jesus is in league with the devil in order to cast out demons. They're saying that Satan is responsible for casting out Satan. And Jesus exposes the flaws in their logic in verses 23 and following. How can Satan cast out Satan. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. It's kind of like the idea of Australia declaring war on Australia. They're claiming that Satan is declaring war on Satan. It just doesn't make any sense. The one doing the oppressing is not the one who's going to be freeing from that very oppression. Satan possessing people with demons is not the one who's going to be freeing people from demon possession. It just doesn't make any sense, it's ridiculous. Jesus shows that if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. If Satan declared war on Satan, he would be unable to stand because he would be destroying himself. The idea is ridiculous and illogical. So what is happening then? Well, Jesus uses an illustration of a strong man to explain that Satan, like a strong man, has power now and he has goods, those people he's oppressing. But Jesus is the stronger man who has bound Satan, broken his power, and who may plunder his house by freeing the people Satan is oppressing. Satan is coming to an end. But not because he declared war on himself, but because one more powerful than Satan is here, God himself, Jesus, the king of the whole world. And this Jesus has broken Satan's power and is liberating those under his oppression. These elite Jews, by saying these things, by laying these accusations of Satanism against Jesus, are walking dangerously close towards blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And we've seen them continually harden their hearts against Jesus. We've seen their opposition intensify. They're planning on murdering him. They're accusing him of being in league with the devil. You can't get a harsher accusation than that. This isn't a slip of the tongue or a fumbling of words, but a decided, ongoing rejection of Jesus as being evil. It's to equate the work of Jesus with that of Satan. And Jesus warns them where this opposition leads, never having forgiveness. And that's terrifying. Standing condemned before God forever. Uh, it's worth mentioning that if you're freaking out right now, wondering whether you've committed this sin, uh, then I want to say the fact that you care tells me that you haven't. <laughs> Remember the context. They've continually hardened their hearts, continually rejected Jesus, planned his murder, and accused him of Satanism. They are not uncertain as to where they stand on Jesus. No, they've made up their minds, and they are completely anti-jesus so the jewish elite we'd expect to be in the kingdom are out so who who is in well let's look at the 12. jesus calls 12 men to himself and they come to him Uh, you see there that jesus is the one who desired them to come to him and jesus is the one doing the calling and these 12 are given the mission of preaching and the authority to cast out demons. We're told who these 12 men were. They've got real names, they've got real stories, they're real people. And why 12? Well, does that number ring any bells for you? Um, well, there were 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob. Mark mentions 12 twice, he doesn't want us to miss it. Those who reject Jesus are rejected by Jesus from his kingdom. And replaced. The elite Jews should have bowed down and worshiped Jesus and realized that the king they'd been waiting for was there, but they didn't. They rejected him. And so Jesus rejects them from his kingdom and they're replaced with 12 apostles and those who will come after. And the 12 seem to be a bit of an eclectic mix of guys. There's some of the fishermen and the tax collector we met earlier. There's a zealot who's um, part of a politically rebellious Jewish sect who fiercely opposed the Romans. And there's even one who would betray Jesus. The world-to-do types are replaced with nobodies because those who reject Jesus as king, Jesus rejects from his kingdom. And notice that Mark gives us a clue here that Jesus is going to be betrayed. There's an inside man who will hand Jesus over, and he tells us that it's Judas. At this point in Mark, we don't know how or why this will happen, but we do know who and what. Judas will betray Jesus. Jesus knew this would happen, and he still chose Judas. Why? Because Jesus knew that his mission involved dying on a cross. Jesus' death on the cross is simultaneously the worst act of human evil ever and the most amazing act of God's love. The only innocent man ever murdered by wicked evil men. The God-man, the Lord Jesus, on a cross come to pay the price for our sin to save undeserving rebels like us. But if Judas rejected Jesus, then he can't be in the kingdom either. So what happens there? Well, at the start of the book of Acts, Judas is replaced by Matthias. And again, the pattern continues. Those who reject Jesus the king, he rejects from his kingdom, and they're replaced. They're replaced not by those who deserve it or have earned their way, no, but by those Jesus desires and calls to himself. Those whom we'd expect to be in, but reject Jesus, are really out. And those we'd expect to be out, but trust in Jesus, are really in. Jesus won't have the Jewish elite who rejected him in his kingdom, and so he replaced them with the twelve. Jesus won't have Judas who betrayed him in his kingdom, and so he replaced him with Matthias. Which brings us to our second point, Jesus' family and Jesus' real family. We've seen the Pharisees continually reject Jesus, and such hostility is perhaps difficult to relate to. I don't know about you, but I've never had a friend tell me that they think Jesus is the devil or is doing things with the devil. I think people are far more likely to give a softer sort of rejection of Jesus. A non-Christian friend once told me he thinks Jesus is a bit deluded, um, but he wouldn't have gone anywhere near saying that he thinks he's in cahoots with the devil. So, what happens when people reject Jesus in a less confrontational way? Is that different from the more hardline rejection we've seen from the elite Jews? Well, let's look at Jesus' family. We're going to look at the rejection by Jesus' family. Have you heard the saying that blood runs thicker than water. Anyone heard that? Cool, seeing some nods. It means that ties to our blood relatives or family are stronger than ties to our friends. With that perspective in mind, we'd be inclined to think that Jesus' ties to his mother Mary and his brother would be tighter than to any of these other people who were with him. But Jesus' family here accuse him of insanity In this chapter of Mark they claim that he's out of his mind he's gone a bit crazy they see him doing the miraculous and drawing crowds of thousands and they can't make sense of it and think that he's gone a bit nuts it doesn't seem as severe as what the Jewish elite have said about Jesus and it isn't as severe but they're not saying they're not saying he's the devil or caught up in Satanism but they are saying that he's not in his right mind and they are trying to seize him and that does amount to a rejection of Jesus. So if those who reject Jesus are replaced, who replaces them? Well, they're replaced by Jesus' real family. And Jesus' real family, as he tells us, is made up of those who do the will of God. We might feel a bit uneasy hearing that, but none of us do the will of God. We all, we all fall short. And yes, that, that's true. So, what does it mean to do the will of God here? Well, again, look at the context. Um, We're looking at that section uh, following verse 31 and so on. His earthly family are outside looking for Jesus, saying that he's out of his mind. His real family, those who belong to the king and are in his kingdom, are inside listening to Jesus. So, to do the will of God means listening to Jesus and believing what he says. Don't stay outside. Come inside. Listen to the king. And what's he been saying? It's the same thing that he's been saying all along. The king has arrived. Turn away from rejecting the king. Trust this king. Trust the massive news of salvation that he brings. The crowd on the inside listening are trusting, listening and trusting. They are his real family. So remember that saying, blood runs thicker than water. But you see these other people here, the ones he calls his brothers and sisters and mother, they are related to Jesus by blood. His blood shed for them on the cross. And, and there's no closer connection possible humans to be related to Jesus than to be covered by the blood he shed on the cross God miraculously unites sinners like us to Jesus through through this in the deepest way possible and if you think about Jesus earthly family we see this is true for them too while they were related to Jesus in an earthly sense they needed to become part of Jesus family in an even fuller sense They were his family in an earthly sense, but they needed to be his family spiritually. They needed to be trusting in him as their king and in his death for them as Lord and Savior. Unfortunately, many of his earthly family members did that. And they they did come to, to turn away from their sin and trust in Jesus as Savior. But what Mark shows us here is that it doesn't work to softly reject Jesus and still claim to be in the family even for those who were his earthly relatives he shows us that all rejection of jesus is still rejection of jesus no matter how tame it may seem and mark sandwiches the rejection of jesus as evil by the jewish elite between the rejection of jesus as insane by his family and so we see Jesus' family, who reject Jesus, are replaced by his real family. Those who come inside, listen to Jesus, and trust in him. Unfortunately, many of his family who rejected him here then came to be part of his real family later on. So, how does that all relate to us? Well, it's a pretty heavy passage today, showing people rejecting and being rejecting Jesus, and then being replaced. It, talks about uh, the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's, a, it's an intense passage. And it shows us that those who reject the king, the king rejects from his kingdom. But if all of us by nature reject the king, then what hope is there? Well, the opportunity to be part of Jesus' family and to be inside his kingdom is still there. There's still time. But there won't be time forever. Jesus is coming back. And one day he will judge everyone with fairness and righteousness. And if we think about our own lives, the idea of the perfect one judging us with fairness and righteousness is a terrifying thought. So our only hope is listening to Jesus. To come inside. To listen to him. And to trust in him. To turn away from everything that holds us back from him and put our trust in him, the saviour king. In contrast to rejection and replacement, we need to acknowledge Jesus as king and through this find ourselves adopted into his family. The Jewish elite accused Jesus of being in league with the devil. Jesus' family rejected him as being insane, out of his mind. The right response, the only right response, is to not reject Jesus, but to bow to him as king and to trust in him. And while some people may want to soften their rejection of Jesus, um, there really are only three ways to look at him. C.S. Lewis had this to say about the different responses to Jesus back in the 1940s. I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really silly thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we mustn't say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But don't let us come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He hasn't left that open to us. He didn't intend to. That's what C.S. Lewis had to say back in the 40s, and how relevant it is today. The Jewish elite took the option of seeing Jesus as evil, as being in league with the devil. Jesus' family, at least at that time, took the option of viewing Jesus as crazy. And neither of those are convincing, are they? And we look at Jesus' genuine love and care for people and compassion and consistency of speech and soundness of mind. Those two options are shown to, for the ridiculous options that they are. I mean, you look at how Jesus back in, in, in 3, 7 uh, is, is going and he's, he, he's, he's there with the great crowd. And they hear all that he's doing and they come to him And there are so many people gathered around that they have to have a boat ready for him. People are flocking to hear Jesus. They're not flocking to hear a madman or to hear someone who's doing demonic evil things. No, they're flocking because the king of the whole world is here. That's who Jesus is. There's only one real option. That Jesus is who he said he is. That Jesus is indeed the Lord of the universe. How do you see Jesus? As evil, like the Jewish elite did? As a fool, like his family did? Or as Lord, as he truly is? There are eternal consequences to how we respond to Jesus. Don't be like the Jewish elite, or Judas, or his family who rejected him and re- were replaced. Respond to Jesus in the only right way, by bowing to him as king and trusting him as savior. You can do that right now, today. Reject living a life contrary to Jesus. Don't reject Jesus. Ask Jesus for forgiveness and submit to the king who died for you. When we look at at Jesus and we look at his life, we see his perfection how he crossed social boundaries to welcome people in, how he showed great love and compassion, how he laid down his life on a cross. That's not evil. That's good. That's perfect and righteous and beautiful. And when we look at Jesus in the way that he, he consistently taught faithfully in every way to God and lived faithfully in every way to God, and he, he wasn't crazy in any way. The only, only right way to see Jesus is as Lord. And if indeed that's true, the only right response is to bow to him and trust him.